in real life? <laughs> I just pulled off one of the greatest feats in pastor history. As second service is getting started, I spill coffee on my shirt. I race home, change shirts, and make it back in time. Yeah, yeah. Woo! Ha. Uh, but I'm supposed to be preaching right now, so I should do that instead. So we're going to wrap up today the life of Jacob. I have an hour and a half worth of material and only a half hour to do it. So I have no idea how we're going to pull that off. But let's find out. You guys ready? Okay. So we are wrapping up the life of Jacob. We introduced, our, we introduced ourselves to Jacob a few weeks ago. Um, we, we met this Jacob, heel grasper, usurper. This guy who's full of passion and tenacity and fire and the Hebrew word chutzpah. And he's a guy that's not going to settle for second. He's a guy that's not going to settle for second best. He's not going to settle. He's, he wants more out of life. He's going to get every ounce of everything that life has to offer. Now, uh, there's probably some of you in the room, um, maybe even a lot of people in the room. How many people would I say they identify with the Jacob character on one way or another? See, the rest of you are liars, but that just means you actually resonate with the Jacob character because he was a liar too. Um, <laughs> see how that works? Anyway, so, but there, there are, there are people in the room that, that you don't necessarily color inside the lines, like, you weren't made to follow the rules. Like, rules were meant to be broken. And, and the world gives you this impression, whether it's just the culture around you or your parents or the people you work with or um, whoever. Maybe it's siblings. God forbid it's the church. That probably wouldn't happen, right? Wink. But we give this impression that, like, the Jacob characters, you're just a big pain in the neck, right? You just, God doesn't really want to work through you until you just step in line, right? And so what, one of the things that we talked about was how that's not the case. Not only is there a place for you in God's kingdom and the kingdom economy, but God seems to hinge the whole story on the Jacob character. Like, I want you to hold on to this thought as we wrap up the life of Jacob all, all this morning. Consider this. If I were to give you all four patriarchs, on a table. I don't know what that means, but we have all four patriarchs on the table. And you get to pick which one you're going to name the nation after. Which one's going to be the father of the story? Which, which patriarch are you going to choose to be like, that's the one I'm going to... What's the last one you're going to pick? Jacob, the most dysfunctional, like, but that's the one that God picks. I think that's going to come back in our story today, but there's... There's something about that. God doesn't work the way that we might intuitively want to say it's supposed to operate. God's kingdom often works backwards, switched upside down. It's just a little wacky. Now, so the first week we said there's a place for the Jacobs, and all the Jacobs in the room went, yeah, okay? But here's the deal for all of you Jacobs. You know this from your life experience. Being a Jacob is not easy. It's not like God has a place for Jacobs. Hooray! No, Jacobs are, it's hard because this same fire and tenacity is also what leads to so much 
drama, and screw-ups, right? Can I get an amen? Okay, so for those of you that are Jacob's, you, you understand this. And so we immediately start walking through that. So the next week we talked about, I think Paul was here that week, and we talked about Jacob and, and Levon, Laban, and they have this, Jacob keeps thinking, like if there's a way that I can relate to the Jacob character, it's the fact that Jacob seems to be kind of this self-centered control freak. Like if, if he can just manipulate the variables, if he can just control the situation, then he'll finally get the, if you remember we talked about wages that week, he can finally get the wages that he's due. If I just work harder, if I just outsmart more people, then I'll finally get what I want. And does it work? No, it doesn't work. And so when he realizes it doesn't work, does he learn his lesson or does he double down on dysfunction? Yeah, he totally doubles down on dysfunction and it still doesn't work. And so then he says, oh, well, maybe I should learn from this. No, he doubles down again and it still doesn't work. It doesn't work to do it this way. And so then last week in the next story, we meet a Jacob who needs to learn, and so he wrestles with God. As he's about ready to be reconciled to his brother, he wrestles with God, and God changes his what? God changes his name, and he wrestles with God. I mean, I'm not going to get into Aaron's sermon, but whatever, that, the man that's God that's the man, but whatever. He, wrest- he has this God moment, we can say that. He has this God moment, and God changes his name. And then it's like, hooray, Jacob. <laughs> no. No, Jacob, Jacob continues. Even though he has this God moment and his name is changed, he, he still struggles with his, and I can relate to that. Here's one of the things I love about Jacob's story. Jacob's story is like our story. Like, I don't know about your journey, but I can tell you eight, nine years ago when I sat in therapy and I had my therapist tell me that I was a Jacob character, his exact words, narcissistic control freak. <laughs> and it was, like a, it was like this moment of self-revelation. I had my Jacob moment. And then guess what? I went home and I said, good news, honey. I discovered that I'm a narcissistic control freak and I'm here to love and serve you for the rest of your days. <laughs> no. No. I, I have been on this very hard, difficult journey for the last eight or nine years, as God continues to show me how this comes from insecurity and fleshes itself out in my life and my marriage and my work and my children, and I, it's going to be this, I have to walk this path with faithfulness as God transforms. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like this is, I have to keep showing up. I had my moment, but I'm not, I was not there as I left that office, nor was Jacob when he left, I mean, he goes to meet Esau. He's like, hey, Esau, I hope we can be friends. And Esau's like, sure. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> Esau's like, sure, no problem. And Jacob's like, really? And Esau's like, yeah, just come back home with me. And Jacob's like, no, you go ahead. I'll meet you there. And Esau's like, no, you should really come with me. No, 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 really. You go ahead. I'll hang back and I'll, and I'll just see you there. Okay, I'll see you there. Yep. And he goes to Sukkot. Not to Sierra. He goes to Sukkot, and I want to know, like, what happened to his family? Like, eventually gets his family and his stuff back, but how'd that work? He's not this reformed guy, right? So the next story, I don't want to talk over. Now, I want to get serious here for just a moment, because the next story, uh, Genesis 34, is the story of the rape of Dinah. I don't want to, I don't want to do either, either extreme here, 
Number one, I don't want to act like it's not there and just go past it. Because here's the thing. Churches don't know how to talk about and deal with sexual abuse. Churches don't know how to talk about abuse. We struggle to put it in its appropriate context. We struggle to acknowledge that it exists. One in four women in the room has been sexually abused. That's a deal. That's a thing. Um, So I I don't want to glance over it because for some of you, forget Jacob, Dinah is your story. Um, At the same time, I don't, I I sat around the fire pit with Aaron this week. Uh, We don't want to, I don't want to pontificate and act like I'm an expert in something that I need to learn a lot more in. Does that make sense? One of the most destructive things we've done as a church is act like because we're theologians, we should be able to pontificate on these things that we are not experts in. Now, I hope that's not where we're at when we die. Uh, Aaron and I both hope that we might have something to say, but until we do, we don't want to act like we have something to say. Um, So I want to acknowledge that, and I want to acknowledge the depth and the um, significance of that story and some of your stories, and I want to grieve that for a moment, Uh, and then we want to wrap up the life of Jacob is what we want to do this morning, but I don't want to pass that. But that story ends with like further kind of proof that Jacob isn't this changed guy. Like after the story gets all done and the abuse of his daughter and the brothers go out to avenge the daughter, and we can totally debate whether or not they did the right thing or not. The Midrash is on both sides of the fence on that one. So we could have that discussion. But what's, what's not really a discussion is Jacob's response at the end of the story. He's like, well, now you've ruined my reputation with the Shechemites. Uh, he's not there yet. Can we say that? Okay. Now, here's the thing. Jacob gets his name changed, and guess what the author continues to call him? Jacob. Not once until today's passage will the author call him Israel. So God changes his name, but his name isn't, it doesn't take. I think because it doesn't take in here. In fact, one of the things I tell my students, this is purely my opinion, Okay. I haven't found a rabbinical teaching on this or anything like that. So this is my opinion. I wonder, well, let's go to the passage. Let's do that. Genesis 35. Jacob, it's always good to go to the text before I give you any opinions. That's always a good. Jacob and all the people with him came to Lutz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar and he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rivka's nurse, died and was buried under the oak outside Bethel, so it was also named Alom Bakut. After Jacob returned from Padanaram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. Deja vu much, right? This, the, we've been here before. You already changed his name. God doesn't have to show up and change people's names twice. What's going on? I, I've, I've suggested to my students, I wonder if the first time, see Israel, Isra uh, conquered, victorious, whatever, and then El, God. So they named him Israel because the first time he wrestled with God and who won? Jacob. That's what the text says. I know you're like, no. Yeah, that's what the text says. 
You have wrestled with God and emerged victorious. Okay? So the first time he wrestles with God and he wins, I wonder if whatever's going to happen in this story, I wonder if this time he's going to wrestle with God and God's going to win. Because the name can go both directions. It can be conquered God or God conquered. So I wonder if there's like an allusion to, well, yeah, Jacob, you're such a usurper, you won the first time. Now God's going to get your attention and God's going to win. Uh, just a suggestion. That's a hypothetical. It's my opinion. But I, I wonder if that's, here's what we can say. He got his name changed and it didn't take because he's Jacob all the way up to this story. Okay? So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave, I gave to Abraham and Yitzhak I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. And you want to sit there and go, God, why? Like, after all the stuff that we keep looking at, why do you keep, why is this your guy? Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. Then they moved on from Bethel, and while they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, Don't despair, for you will have another son. Okay? As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Honi, which means son of my sorrow. Ben-Honi, son of my sorrow, or my grief. But his father named him Ben-Yamin, which means son of my right hand. Probably what happens here is Jacob's like, I, I can't name him. I can't have my son named after my wife's grief for the rest of my life. So he doesn't name him Ben-Honi, he names him Ben-Yamin. But you're going to be my favored, that's what that means, son of my right hand, my favored son. Maybe not my favorite son, but my favored son. I'm going to look out for you because you were the one that was born when my wife died. Okay, so let's keep, going. Okay, let's keep moving. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Israel moved on again and pitched his tent beyond Migdal Edir. What just happened? He's changed his name. So Rachel dies and all of a sudden Jacob changes, which makes sense. The only thing that Jacob's ever truly wanted in his life, I mean he wanted a blessing, he wanted the firstborn, like he wanted all these things, but the only thing he really pined after that he gave his heart to was Rachel. And, and so he loses Rachel, and at this point, Jacob's going to change. Notice I did not say Jacob's going to become the man that God wants him to be. Because at this point in the story, Jacob becomes this whipped, defeated, he throws in the towel. At this point in the, up to this point in the story, Jacob's been this tenacious, I want to get everything that life has for me. I want to grab the bull by both horns. I'm going to wrestle this thing to the ground. I, I, I'm Jacob. He loses Rachel, and he will be, for the rest of the story, the cynical old man in the back of the story. 
that doesn't want to go to Egypt, doesn't want to take any chances, doesn't want to do anything. Now, you might say, I, I don't know, Marty, I, I feel like you're being pretty hard on Jacob. Now, here's the thing. The author at least recognizes a partial change. Because from this point until Genesis 48, the author is going to bounce back and forth almost, it's going to alternate between Jacob and Israel. Now, my opinion, I may be reading way too much in this, is I think you can, the author is trying to insinuate to us who we're dealing with in the story. When we're dealing with Jacob the usurper, he's Jacob. When we're dealing with the man of God's people, we're dealing with Israel. Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but the author can't decide whether it's Jacob or Israel. Jacob or Israel. So let's go over this again. God changes his name, and he's what? He is the first time. God changes his name the first time, and he's who? Jacob. Is he ever Israel? Say no. Then God shows up again, and he changes his name a second time, and Rachel dies, and then what? He's not really Israel, but he's not really Jacob, but he's kind of Israel and Jacob and Israel and Jacob, right? I mean, after, in that last passage we read, after Rachel dies, he's Jacob, 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 Israel. (laughs) Through all the stories that you'll read, when Jacob makes his cameo appearances, he's going to be Jacob or Israel, or Israel or Jacob, or both. The author can't really decide. Now, here's what I find so interesting. Let's, let's hear, I'm going to break the rules. Don't tell anybody. Shh. I'm going to jump all the way to the end of Genesis and pick up the very end of Jacob's life. Because this is the moment, this Genesis 35 story where Rachel dies, is the moment that Jacob hangs on to until his dying breaths. Almost. So I want to go to Genesis 47. This is where he finally finds out that Joseph was alive. He goes down to Egypt, and Joseph's like, Dad, I want to introduce you to Pharaoh. He's been like a second father to me. Okay? So I want to introduce you to Pharaoh. Come meet Pharaoh. So Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Paro. After Jacob blessed Paro, Paro asked him, How old are you? Kind of a rude question. Listen to how he answers. And Jacob said, who's answering, by the way, Jacob or Israel? Hmm. Jacob said to Paro, the years of my pilgrimage have been 130. My years have been few and difficult. Did you hear that word difficult? Have we heard that before? Who had difficulty as she was giving? Interesting. See, Jacob looks at Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, how old are you? Now, no, let's read. Let me, let me get this last statement. And they do not, my years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of pilgrimage of my fathers. Jacob says, Pharaoh, it's good to meet you. I'm 130 years old. My life has been garbage, and I'm not half the man that my fathers were. Good to meet you. <laughs> and he blesses Pharaoh, and he leaves. So that's from his own mouth how he views his story. He threw in the towel. And some of you may have even experienced this. We all have different stories and different journeys, but some of us might be like Jacob. We used to be this person created for this thing, this purpose, this calling, and somewhere along the way, that calling came and got us. It just attacked an insecurity. It 
backfired completely. It got us in a major mess. And we say, you know what? Yeah, let's follow God, whatever, but I'm done. Whatever, God. It's all yours. Whatever. This seems to be Jacob. Now, if we jump ahead a few more verses to Genesis 48, this is Jacob literally on his deathbed, and he calls in Joseph to talk to Joseph on his deathbed. So what are, if you're Jacob, of all the things you could talk about in your life, what are, what are your dying words going to be to your favorite son, Joseph? You've been reunited to, you thought he was dead, he's alive. Like, what, what is your dying conversation going to be? Let's watch this. Sometime later, Joseph was told your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Machnesah and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob, <laughs> Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Now hold the phone. I don't think we can appreciate what he's doing here. From a Jewish perspective, I know we listen to this and we're like, ah, whatever. Because we're like America, melting pot, cultures, all that kind of stuff. From a Jewish perspective, Ephraim and Manasseh are the two sons born to Joseph through an Egyptian wife given to him by his Egyptian surrogate father, Pharaoh. Jacob says, Joseph, bring me your sons, because today those two sons become just as much of a son to me as my other sons. I'm accepting those sons as my own. Ah. And I don't think I could explain it in a way that communicates the gravitas of that for a Jewish perspective, but what a huge thing Jacob's doing. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. Okay? So, deathbed moment. Jacob calls Joseph in, says, Joseph, I got to tell you. I got to tell you about Genesis 35. That's not what he says because Genesis isn't written. But he says, I got to tell you about that story when I went and Bethel and what it stands for and how God promised me that our family was going to be something. Joseph, God promised me that my family was going to be something. And I want your kids to be a part of that family. You're like, okay, this makes sense. Okay, so, so what else? Like you have one more thing to talk about. What is it you're going to talk about if you're Jacob? Let's go. As I was returning from Padan to my sorrow, what? Your mom died. This is the thing. This is, when Jacob looks back on his life, this is the moment that Jacob hangs on to. His whole life is about Rachel's death. He's telling Joseph about his mom and how she died on, but what's interesting, you don't catch what's being said in the Hebrew. To my sorrow, Rachel died. Our translators are confused. Well, that's probably too hard on my translators. Um, translators are very, very brilliant people. 
But it's an awkward phrase in the Hebrew, so they translate it to my sorrow. It's not necessarily incorrect, but the phrase literally means because of me, to my fault. Joseph, you don't understand, as I was on my way to Bethlehem, your mom died and it was my fault. Why? Do you remember the story that we, Paul would have been here talking about with Laban? What does Laban accuse Jacob of doing? Stealing something. Stealing the idols. Does Jacob know that the idols have been stolen? Say no. So Jacob ends up telling Laban, listen, if anybody told your, took your idols, may they be cursed and die. Who took the idols? Rachel did. And Jacob looks back on his life and he goes, it was my fault. Joseph, it was my fault that your mom died. And I've been living with that ever since. It changed me. Tore me apart. Defeated me. Now watch. Uh, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way. A little, difference from Ephra, a little distance from Ephrat. So I buried her there besides the road to Ephrat. That is Bethlehem. When Israel saw... Whoa, what? When, from this moment on until Genesis 49, he will not be Jacob anymore. In this narrative, he's Israel on his deathbed. He's Israel, 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 Israel. This moment changes him. When he sees Manasseh and Ephraim, he becomes Israel. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, who are these? Who are these two strapping young men? Let's keep going. Uh, they are sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. And Israel said, bring them to me so that I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of his old age. Okay, I've heard that before, like his own dad, right? We've got two sons being blessed, a blind father. And he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Any grandparents in the room? Any grandparents bear testimony to the fact that grandkids can change everything about everything? I don't know, but I've been told. Oh, the joy that grandkids can bring. Now God's allowed me to see my grandkids. Then Joseph removed, from, removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. He's trying to put the firstborn in the right hand, because his dad's blind, can't see. I'm going to put the right son where they need to be, because the firstborn needs to be blessed with the right hand. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he were the younger and crossing his arm, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. And then he blessed Joseph. Listen to what he says to Joseph. I love this. May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm. Does it sound like his perspective has shifted from the way he saw his life? when he was standing before Pharaoh. I think, he's, I think he's got a new outlook. May he bless these boys. 
May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Yitzhak, and may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand and moved it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your hand back on his head. But his father refused and said, I love Paul, Paul Patterson had this perspective. He says, I feel like this is a very tender statement. I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. With his dying breaths, Jacob is teaching his son Joseph about how God's kingdom works. With his dying breaths. Do you remember Josh Gray talking about Jacob? He said there were two different blessings. There was a blessing of material. There was a material blessing. And there was a blessing of what? Legacy. And who got the material blessing? Esau. But what does God care about? Legacy. Jacob has not seized legacy until this very moment. His whole life has been a wreck. But now... Now in this moment, he goes, and on his deathbed, he seizes the very calling. I was reading some uh, Dorothy Sayers this uh, week talking about Peter. Like, why would God choose Peter? Why not John, the disciple whom Jesus loved? Her, Her perspective was, well, John's, they're like a one in a million type character, but Peter, well, we can all relate to Peter. I kind of feel that way about Jacob. Jacob is like the character that you and I can be like, God wants to build his nation on people like that? Well, then God wants to build his nation on people like me. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, in your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you I give you one more ridge of land to your brothers. What is he doing? He's doing legacy. He's gone from being a guy who threw in the towel and gave up and my years have been few and difficult and I'm not half the man my father was to look in his sons in the eye going, let me make sure you understand what God called us to. And we got to come back to this. Like, we need to leave this and come back to it at the end of our Genesis series. This is a big moment. This is a very, very big moment in the history of the people of Israel. Because they stand at a crossroads. And if they go one direction, this whole story falls apart. And Jacob, in this moment, on his deathbed says, you take the right path. Let me tell you about how God works. Let me tell you about what God's called our people to don't blow it. Ah, yeah, I'm so out of time. Okay, um, so we got some implications that's going to kind of help us wrap this up a little bit. Uh, but I need to invite our servers to go back and get our communion emblems for the morning. Uh, as we approach the Eucharist table, if you're visiting with us, we have an open table. That means if you want to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you are family, please do that. Just hold on to the bread and the juice, and we'll take it all together. 
One of the things I walk away from this story with is realizing that God doesn't want to give us material blessing. God wants to give us a blessing of what? Let that sink in. God really doesn't care about giving you material blessing. What he cares about is giving you a blessing of legacy. Uh, Implications. God's call is irrevocable, one of Aaron's favorite statements out of Romans. God's call is irrevocable. God never gives up on what he's called us to. God never gives up on what he's called you to be. It doesn't matter what path you've taken. God, God's call on your life, the reason that he put you here, the thing that he called you to, does not change. No matter what path, like a choose-your-own-adventure story you take, the plot of your life, God's call on your life, God wants you to be the person, the man, the woman that he put you here to be. It doesn't change. God never gives up on that. You don't screw up so much or reject the call so much that God's like, oh, you know what, never mind. God is always following you to your dying breaths going, come on, seize your call. Now, next implication. People don't always see what God is up to in your life. Your parents don't always see what you're up to in your life. Your kids don't always, one of the hardest things, your spouse might not even see what God's up to in your life. People don't always see, but for goodness sakes, we don't always see what God's up to in our life. Here's a question for you. Was it really Jacob's fault that Rachel died? I mean, we could argue that, but I think I'm with you. I I don't think that's necessarily how God might see it. It's how Jacob sees it. Do you think there's anybody in this room that might look back on their life and may not have necessarily God's 2020 vision on how their narrative has went? Anybody that might look back on their life and go, well, I ended up here because of that stupid decision I made back there. Or maybe there's some of us that are in like the early stages of Jacob's story. Everything's great because I work so hard. Like maybe we don't always see what God's up to in our life. Next implication. Even when you carry around the scars of significant personal mistakes, it doesn't change what God made you for. Even when you carry around horrible decisions, crisis, accidents, trauma, it doesn't change what God made you for. God never tries to write some new story. He's always wanting you to be the person he called you to be. It never, ever changes. Next invocation. Last invocation. The greatest gift you can give your family is seizing your, lag- your legacy, no matter the path that brought you here. The greatest gift you can give your family is seizing your legacy. No matter the path, no matter how late in your story, no matter the path that brought you here. I don't know how many parents I've talked to that would look back on their parenting with regret, maybe even serious mistakes that had serious consequences. 
and, and think, oh, it's never too late to seize your legacy. It's never too late to look at your family and say, this is why God's put us here. Even though I've spent my whole life screwing this up, this is what God's put us here for. It's never too late. I don't know how many people we got in here with gray hair, a little bit more seasoned at life, if you will, a little more experience under the belt. It's never too late. You can retire from work. I'm thrilled that we can do that. Amen? Don't, don't retire from your legacy. Don't retire from your legacy. Do not retire from your calling. Don't do it. Till your dying breath. Even if you've wasted every moment up to this one and tomorrow is your dying breath, so was it with Jacob and he changed the course of human history. Because he was willing to see three, for one day he was willing to see things and surrender to the way that God saw things. It's never, and this is what this moment is all about. We hold bread, we hold juice. This table, one of the things this table is, it's many things, it's many, many things, but one of the things that this table is that we come to, this is our steadfast belief that it's never too late, that God can always redeem whatever mess you have. There's always forgiveness. There's always a new morning. There's always a new start. There's it can be redeemed. That's what the bread and the juice tell us every single week. I don't know what you came through the doors with today. God wants you to seize legacy. It can change the course of everything for everybody, even those around you. Today. You can't change what happened yesterday. You can't change what you brought with you. You can change what you do today. And you can change its impact on tomorrow. That you can. So we're invited to believe. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a piece of bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body. And when you do this, remember. Let's remember Jesus. And later in the meal, he took a cup. He passed it amongst his disciples he said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. And when you do this, remember. Let's remember and believe this morning. Father God, I pray that you would remind us this morning that it's never too late. It's never too late. Uh, you love to write brand new chapters you love to bring your plot together in our life at any point that we want to come and surrender to the things you want to do through us and in us. God, I pray you would remind us this morning that it's never too late. No matter what we've done, no matter where we're at, no matter how we've screwed up, no matter what kind of things we haven't taken advantage of or what we haven't believed, the invitation is today to seize the legacy that you call your people to. So God, we love you. We thank you for your forgiveness because we, we need it. We thank you for the fact that you never give up on us even when we give up on you. Even when we have whole seasons where we throw in a towel, you never give up. 
You are are faithful when we are faithless. We thank you for that. We pray that you would continue to invite us into the things that you're doing in this world, even in our very own hearts and lives and families. We pray all this in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, connect with us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.